That is the singing and praying bands of Maryland and Delaware. It was named a 2014 National Heritage Fellow. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast from the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. The singing and praying bands practice a form of religious worship, singing hymns in ways that blend both West African and European traditions. It's one of the oldest and most historic African-American performance traditions, predating gospel, blues, and jazz. The singing and praying band's tradition was born out of the secret devotions of enslaved African-Americans in the Chesapeake Tidewater regions in the 18th and 19th centuries. They eventually became a central piece of African-American Methodist churches in that region, although it wasn't part of the formal worship service. At one point in the mid-1950s, thousands of people took part, but the numbers have decreased over the past half century and now the singing and praying bands of Maryland and Delaware is the sole practitioner of this tradition. This week it was honored with the National Heritage Fellowship for keeping alive one of the oldest forms of African-American music. Over the summer I spoke with Reverend Jerry Colbert, one of the leaders of the group. Here's our conversation and a point of clarification. When Reverend Colbert mentions saints, he's talking about the band members. Let's establish right right from the get-go that the singing and praying bands is a prayer group. This is a spiritual mission. This isn't about performance. Absolutely. It's a ministry. It's been in existence in this area, Annapolis, Baltimore, Delaware Peninsula, Dorchester County for some 150 years. And uh, it is a worship service experience. Uh, it's not a performance. And uh, we try to explain that to our audience that uh, we want you to get involved. We want you to participate. But this is church outside of the church. But we're still in worship. Where does the service take place? The services take place primarily still in churches and sanctuaries. There are some venues in Delaware and Dorchester County where they have an outside pavilion where we worship. And it's pretty much something that you would see back in the days of um, when you watched Westerns on TV and you have the campfire and Everyone would come and center around the campfire. And as a matter of fact, in Frankfort, Delaware, they have cottages built around the pavilion. And so during their camp services, folks come to the backside of their cottage and sit on their porch and enjoy the service. The way it works is that there is a religious service. There's typically preaching. And then after that, after the formal service, that is when the singing begins with praying in, interspersed with singing. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. There is a formal service. And usually uh, in the past, what we call camp meeting, it was the evangelistic push for the Methodist and the AME movement. And this evangelical push just brought the community together. And after the formal service, the prayer bands would come together. And actually, 
uh, during that singing and that movement, there was a prayer for healing. If someone they knew that was sick in the community, there was a prayer for those that we call lost, not saved. And that was the movement. It was to bring people together to save souls and to develop good relationships. We should also say that when we say band, we're not talking about a musical band, but it's rather a spiritual circle, a prayer circle. Absolutely. I'm so glad you asked that question because as we try to hold on to this tradition, and especially in the Methodist movement, where we are only assigned to a particular parish one year at a time, of course we may be reassigned but there have been ministers who have not been familiar with this movement and when we say rev we're going to have camp meeting and the prayer band is going to be here and i'll never forget my mentor she said brother jerry all these people here where's the band where's the band you know I said, right there, I don't see any instruments, you know. I said, okay, Reverend Sass, okay, this is not that type of band. And she grew to love us. I mean, she really did. But I'm glad that question was asked, yes. And you're called, even though you're one band, Mm -hmm. one group, rather, Mm -hmm. you're called the singing and praying bands, plural. Plural, yes, yes. And like you said, we're from many churches, and because we are so few, we come together as one, and it's the bands come together. And again, bands as in circle of prayer. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the history of the singing and praying bands. It's a very long, long history. It predates the blues. Yes. Actually, it goes back to... John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, and back in England, they had prayer circles and prayer groups, and he brought this to Savannah, Georgia. Uh, It moved slowly up the Mason-Dixie line, and when Methodism in Baltimore gave birth, that's when the camp meeting circuit and this prayer band movement really came alive and churches connect one with another. So it's been in existence for over 150 years. Well, from what I've read, it's one of the oldest surviving forms of African-American music. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Mount Zion McAfee, who has a prayer group, Their prayer band ministry goes back to a missionary that was sent to the west coast of Africa. And she picked up this ring shout type of um, praise and worship and brought it back to the United States. So yes, this goes way back in history. And it really is kind of this marriage of West African tradition and Western tradition. Absolutely. Absolutely. The two have merged together, and it's just a part of the Afro-American movement. It's part of the thing that the old folks says, keep the soul together. You know, when you have nobody else, you have God, and I can just sing to myself, and I can just praise God by myself. But when I get in communion with my other sisters and brothers, that's a shout. That's a shout. Explain what happens during a service. 
Well, after the formal service, we used to have in the Methodist Church and AME Church prayer corners, amen corners. And in the amen corners, they had benches, and that was called the mourner's bench. And that's where sinners would come and get prayed over. Well, after the formal service, we pulled that bench out. And for churches that no longer have that bench, we set a row of chairs, and that signifies the praying bench. The men who were always the leaders in this ministry stood on one side of the bench and the ladies faced them. And the service starts off with a slow climax. And as each verse is sung, the tempo picks up. And then at the end of a particular verse hymn, then there is a line that's repeated. And that particular line is, could be, oh, weeping friend, don't weep for me while standing around my bed. I know the way to Galilee. Thank God I have no dread. And you get caught up in that. You get really get caught up in that. And that would move on for a while. And then the men would bring the folks back down. Okay, let's come back down. We're not done yet. We have some praying to do. And then uh, one of the men would call on one of the ladies or another man and say, let's pray. Now, that could be a general prayer for anything or prayer that's what's on the person's heart. Or we could say, Brother Jones is here today, and he just come through a major surgery, and he believes in the uh, healing hands, uh, a prayer. So let's pray for him. And so we go through these prayer channels, and then we will sing another song. And this would go on perhaps for an hour, 45 minutes or an hour, or longer, depending upon how we engage and connect with the Spirit. It's a call and response. The men will say one line, the ladies would answer. And then when we have felt as though we have done what we've been called to do, we call it the Grand March and we will march around, and this will give the ladies an opportunity to to raise their voice in a song or to take the lead in a particular song, and then we will march out of the church, and that's what our service consists of. That that's, that's start and finish. You know, I heard a field recording of a service, and it struck me that in the beginning, the tempo is very slow, but it's so somber. It's, it, it felt so sorrowful, almost as though it was all the cares that one was expressing, and then the level to which it would pick up and the joyousness. You know, and you hear the entire buildup to that joyousness. Yes, yes, yes. It's where the saints bring all their cares to the Lord, all of their joys to the Lord. And that somber sound credentials into a loud shout, you know. And it's just like all of yesterday's problems are gone. 
all of this morning problems are gone. I have now communion with God and the Holy Spirit, and I'm able to take on the world now. I am just caught up in this thing, and we can take it on. We can take on the world. And that's how that builds up to that point. And like I said, we don't care who's in the building, who's looking at us, who's sitting next to us, because by that time, we have forgotten about everybody in the church, in the arena, because now we have that connection, and we pray that that connection will reach someone in the congregation or the auditorium so that they can feel something and experience some of the something that we have. join and become a part of it as opposed to sitting back and observing it. Absolutely, absolutely. Now that we are out of the box and into public arenas, you know, we just encourage those who never heard of us and been a part of this prayer band unit, if you would like to become a part of us, this is no secret organization that you have to sign some type of contract to sign, you know. It's a Christian-based organization, ministry. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because you decided quite consciously to come out of the box, as you say, and that was in 2011, was yes. it? Talk about that decision to come out of the church and into the public, because that was a very thoughtful, complicated decision. Absolutely. It was not an easy decision for the group. They felt they would lose their identity. They didn't know how they would be received. And the thing that they wanted to hold on to was the tradition and not get lost in performance. As we worked through this and prayed through this, I encouraged them that this is a way for us to spread the good news outside of the arena that we used to so that someone else may realize that there is another form of worship and praise and this is different and I like to be a part of it. And so in leading this group to these other vineyards, I, you know, we hold on to the fact that we are Christian based and we're not going to entertain, but we're going to nurture their souls. Now, 50, 60 years ago, singing and praying bands had thousands of people who were involved. How many are involved now? Right now, I would say approximately 35 people. 
and that is a inclusive of about 18 churches. When I was a little boy at the tender age of I don't know, 12, 13, 14, or whatever, my home church, Asbury Broadneck, had 80 members alone, one church, 80 members. So back in the 50s and 60s, and up until the middle 70s, in this area, it still was a large movement. But of course, as the older saints died off, no one was replacing them. And because of our change in worship styles and trying to attract younger people to keep our congregation alive and active, the prayer band ministry kind of got pushed in the corner for contemporary music with the drums and the guitars and the tambourine to encourage families with children to come into the church. But yes, it has dwindled and we, we, we're hoping to rebuild. And what about choosing the hymns? Do people take turns within the bands to do that? Yes, they do. And usually the hymns are a hymn that they remember that someone in their family sang when they were in the prayer band or something that they have heard and it take residence in them. There are times when they would say to their band captain, and this present time they'll say to me, Reverend Jerry, Brother Jerry, can we take this hymn? This is my favorite hymn. Uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Can we take this hymn? Can we tune this into a prayer band tune? And so then I have to go into my repertoire of, okay, how can we do this? <laughs> but yeah, that's where the hymns come from. And the members share in that. You have the giving out hymns, which are like the call and responses. You Mm -hmm. call it singing to help. Mm -hmm. And then you have the straight hymns. Mm -hmm. What are the differences? The difference that I see in a call and respond, it's more of a sermon that you receive and you get caught up in. And a straight hymn is something just repetitious, all my appointed time, I'm going to wait till my change come. All my appointed time, I'm going to wait until my change come. And then someone may pause and say, the Lord give it, the Lord take it away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Then you go back, all my appointed time, I wait for my change come. A straight helm is just repetitious. I would imagine, singing that over and over again. Absolutely. Can you just imagine all my pointed time? You know, I've worked so hard. I tried so hard. Well, I'm going to wait until my change comes. You know, you just get caught up in that. You know, say, okay, God, if this is my appointed time, okay, let it be, you know. It's almost like by singing those words over and over again, you embody the message. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And then you have camp. Describe what happens at camp. What's the tradition of that? Camp meeting, the format stays the same. The only thing different between a regular gathering and camp meeting is the crowds are larger and there's food. Camp meeting resembles more of what the prayer band movement was about when they gathered in fields during John Wesley time. Because during John Wesley time, of course, they would bring their picnic baskets and they would stay there for the day and share everything. And today, of course, you know, we come together for the purpose of spiritual enrichment. But there is that time of fellowship. It takes a weekend, typically. Because of the small size of the group now, Usually, this is just all day Sunday, from 10 in the morning, probably until 10 at night, and there'll be two or three different preaching services. And folks can come in, they can get up, they can go outside, they can eat when they want to hear some more of the prayer band or some more preaching, they come back into the facility. That's what camp meeting is today. Does it take place all year round or mostly in the warmer weather? The camp meetings are warmer weather. It starts in May and it goes through the end of September. And then you'll meet, you meet every week? Not necessarily every week, but we we at least come together at least monthly for that fellowship. Do you come together to sing about once a month? Yes, We, we go from church to church to church. Why do you think this singing has survived as long as it has? It has survived because the connection with our grandparents and our great-grandparents. My grandmother raised me. She was a singing and praying band member. So I didn't have much choice but go to church all day on Sundays. And of course, as I got older, I just got tired of church. I just got tired of the singing and praying bands. But something within you grabs you back into this prayer circle. And I found at the age of 18 that I wanted to be a part of this prayer movement again. And I think so many of the uh, singing and praying band members has the same connection. They were brought up with it. And the survival is... Let's keep hope alive for Granny. Let's keep hope alive for Uncle Danny, who is a great band leader and captain. Uh, It's a part of that tradition that becomes a part of you. And whatever the spirit that drew me back, I am so glad it drew me back. (laughs) What do you think it is about music that gives you this connection to the spirit and to each other. Well, with Afro-Americans, and I take it back to the days of slavery, and I take it back to the days when our ancestors had to steal away from the big house just to get some rest and peace. And they were still away down by the riverside. And, and back then, even, it was a call and response, you know. Going to lay down my burdens down by the riverside, you know. Music does something to our souls that we can't explain. It's a way of centering us. It's a way of bringing peace. 
And it can be a way of expressing ourselves. I just been burdened all week long. Society has beat up on me. But now I can come to this place of refuge, this place where the Spirit will speak to me. I don't have to have the preacher preaching to me. I don't have to have a counselor preaching to me. But the words of this hymn, you know, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. It just calms my inner soul and my inner peace. And so I think of the music as a way of a great communion with us and God. In reading about the singing and praying bands, I'm just so struck by how long and rich that history is. And when you think, especially in this area, Harriet Tubman was here. This is the music she heard. This is the music that she would use to give messages to people. Absolutely. Steal away, you know. Uh, you know. They knew that it was time to meet at Jonas Green Park, you know, and she had a passage of freedom. And the singing and praying band movement is a passage of freedom for us. Can't nobody bother us. Can't nobody touch us. We have connected through that passage. We have connected through that underground tunnel. And we can just look at yesterday and say, yesterday is gone. Today is brand new. Let me ask you this, Reverend, because now you do sing publicly on a stage as opposed to in a church. And I know the heart you bring to it is the same, but there are real differences. There's an audience. You have a time constraint. You can't sing until the spirit moves you to stop. You need to stop at a certain time. How do you handle that? That is a challenge for us because in so many of the hymns, it's a slow pace. And now that we have this window to deal with, I leave that part of the movement up to me. I will tell them that there is a time refrain and it does not allow me to get fully engaged because I'm watching my watch. And at that time, then I have to give the signal that we have to bring this to an end. So you're the one who has to step back. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I can see how that would be a challenge. Do you see the younger generation in the past three years since you have been a little more public? I understand that's a very short amount of time, but have you seen any movement of younger people becoming interested? It's funny that you say that because we have now chartered two coaches to come to Washington, D.C. And a lot of these are what I would say middle-aged younger people and that is encouraging to me, you know, that they're not going to see Al Green. They're not going to see Aretha Franklin. They're paying money to get on the coach to see a prayer group. So to me, that speaks volume. I would like to see this movement come alive again. Let's bring life and light back into it. Many congratulations again. Well, thank you. It's just been an honor and a pleasure, and we thank all of those who have worked so hard to get us to this point. And it just has been a blessing, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. That's Reverend Jerry Colbert. He's a leader in the singing and praying bands of Maryland and Delaware, which was just named a 2014 NEA Heritage Fellow. You can see the bands perform live at the National Heritage Concert. It's this Friday at the Lisner Auditorium, and we're webcasting it live. 
Go to arts.gov for information. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Next week, dancer and founder of Dance Place, Carla Perlo. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening. <laughs>